Chi Chat by Chi Chart. Chi Chat by Chi Chart. Hello, it's your host Mel, and we're joined by Lisa and Grant. And our special guest today is Dr. Stephen Fleming. He's a boutique swimwear manufacturer. His range of swimwear is called Pride, and each piece is crafted by hand. Previously, Stephen was a well-known Newcastle architect, academic, and passionate supporter of bicycle cities like Amsterdam and was busy designing and consulting locally and around the world. He did a world tour with a folding bike, meeting lots of big names in bike advocacy like Michael Colville Anderson in Copenhagen and he hasn't stopped travelling and speaking and developing research projects. His utopian vision is to open people's eyes to the potential of bicycles. If cities were actually built for bikes and other modes weren't allowed to impede bicycle motion, people would have more time as opposed to being stuck in traffic or squeezed into an overcrowded transport system and they'd be healthier. Stephen is also an accomplished photographer who enjoys revealing the inner essence of his subjects through his photo- through his photographs. What's the most revealing photograph you've ever taken? <laughs> Was that in the bedroom? Oh, well, no, I make one swimsuit, which is called a topless Malo, which Malo just means one-piece swimsuit. I saw you know. that, and my husband didn't believe me it was actually topless. It's been around since the 60s, this thing. It was designed as a women's lib expression. And so it's just a one-piece swimsuit, very modest bottom, but it stops at the sternum and then it's got straps over the top. I saw that. <laughs> so I did. And, and he didn't believe me because, <laughs> I, you know, I said, look, these, this is actually a topless swimsuit. Their breasts are there and the and their hair's over. I said, it's been really beautifully photographed. And he goes, no. <laughs> I said, put my glasses on. <laughs> he was still, because it was done so tasteful. The, yeah, the photography, I and, I'm, so. and yeah. I believe you would have taken those photographs did, yeah. there. And yeah. it was. it was. But have a look on um, the Pride website. <laughs> I'm just picturing a mankini. Because it's quite, yes, actually. <laughs> so, you know what I have heard as part of the backstory that your wife, like the reason you got into it was because she wasn't that comfortable, you know, at the beach, and then she found a swimsuit which she did find comfort in. Was that the swimsuit with no, with the boobs no, out? No, no. no. <laughs> 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 Might have been once, but <laughs> the Hello Girls version. <laughs> Tell us about your story. It's intriguing. One? You, the you one about how you got into swimwear, and then we'll work backwards to your swimwear. other lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I did all that bicycling stuff and the book tours and all of that, and then I just sort of hit a wall. I felt I was on the downward slide. I wasn't getting as many calls. You know, I wasn't hot anymore, and I didn't want to go through the work that it took to stay hot. I was just sort of over it. And I didn't know what to do with myself. And I was talking to my son and I said, you know, when I was 15, I thought about going and studying fashion. That's what I, you know, rather than architecture, which I did, I thought I'd go and study fashion. But I went too well at school, so I had the marks to get into architecture. So what true. A nonsense. This doesn't happen anymore. But back in the day, well, even it was the tail end of me, I got something like 97. And my parents' official term was, you can't waste your mark. Nah, it's nonsense. It's so nice. my son's a very encouraging lad. And he said, give it a crack, Dad. Mm-hmm. And so I phoned up the TAFE and it just so happened that I'd only missed one day of the new semester so I never learned how to thread a bobbin which was the thing they learned on the first day and that actually caught me once (laughs) I missed the first day's lesson but I went along and I did just 12 weeks of TAFE loved it absolutely loved it 
And then I got to a point where I thought, okay, TAFE is going to teach me how to make a range of clothing. There's not really a business in that. I need to focus on one sort of clothing. And then I was looking at postage and then what we can do here in Australia, what Newcastle and Australia are associated with on the world stage. I thought swimwear is the way to go, which was a bit silly because it's a bloody tough kind of garment to make. And I sweated blood for about a year and used consultants and everything to figure out how to do this. But um, got to the point where I could make a really good quality swimsuit eventually. And um, so that's what I do. Locally manufactured? Out of my downstairs room where I've got it filled with industrial sewing machines. And um, yeah, me manufactured. I hand make it individually. Wow. Download your personalised lifestyle planning app today from the App Store and go with your Chi Flow. Chi Chart, the personalised lifestyle planning app. I found that pretty incredible when I read your story about how you actually did a lot of research into this before you went ahead. You went and found out which sewing machines were actually perfect for this job because sewing stretch fabrics is not easy yeah you need at least about six separate industrial sewing machines to make a swimsuit that's incredible that's amazing so how what how did you actually come what what stage did you say swimsuits because it sounded to me like you started down the journey but you really didn't know what you were going to do <laughs> okay <laughs> There's like something confessional about this room, isn't there? Mm. My wife and I... <laughs> oh, God. I no, come on. We want to hear your story, Stephen. <laughs> years ago. Get years right ago, up into that microphone years so ago, it's your friend. Years ago, we, we lived Better. in Singapore. It was quite uh, an open society in some ways and restrictive in other ways. When we came back to Australia, came back to Newcastle, a nudist resort had opened up at Nelson Bay. And we thought, what the heck? And we went up there and um, actually really enjoyed it. And so for a time in our 20s, we went around to nudist clubs a little bit and found them very friendly, really friendly places and quite enjoyed that. Then a few years ago, for old times' sakes, we had the kids off our hands. We thought, let's go back to this nudist club down in Mittagong where we'd been as young people. And we headed down there. And it was kind of funny. It, was, it seemed like exactly the same crowd. It's just everyone was 20 years <laughs> old. <though. laughs> and, um, which puts the average nudist into their 80s. <laughs> and, um, and there were photos. And gravity had ensued <laughs> with the body yeah, parts. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone was lying 20% lower as well. <laughs> we don't own a car, so we hired a car for this. And um, it's amazing how the space of a car on a road trip sort of lets you chat. You know, and so we just sort of chatted and brainstormed. And I said, there's this woman at my at the sewing school and her daughter's doing okay out of swimwear. And if you look at the postage and the different things around it, there's a business in that, I'm sure. But just don't do it the way everyone else thinks there's a business in it where you just go off to Bali and come back with a truckload of stuff yes, that you end true. up having to burn, you know. Well, that's true. I know a friend of mine is manufacturing yoga clothes and she's working with China. And I think she's something like three years in and it's just an absolute yeah. S-fight. 100%. She just has to be careful that she doesn't yeah. end up with a, a garage full of stuff that she has to shred or burn. Mm. And that's that's unfortunately the fate of so many young brands when they start that way. Um, I think I'm going to move into yoga pants pretty soon too. There's a bit much fabric to handle. That's a bit of a difference. The nice thing about swimsuits is it's small cutting area, small yeah. fabric rolls, all of that. But, um, yeah, I've got the equipment there to make yoga pants. I'm kind of half thinking of giving that a crack. But, again, it'll be, you know, I'll, I'll be in charge of the manufacturing. I think There's that's not the much go. good male 
yoga wear. Have to say, they end up wearing board shorts half the time. Yeah, right. Mm. Oh, that could be a niche market for you, Stephen. Yeah, I'm thinking and of Rudolph Nureyev. I do it that style. Yeah. Well, I also <laughs> liked what you told me about the fabrics and the weave and how you're actually having them specially made. Yeah, I should have brought some of that down, shouldn't I? But you mm. can't really show it on the on podcast. podcast. But um, tell okay. us about it. Well, most of most stretch wear is knitted. Okay, so your t-shirts there—that's a knit. And it stretches because the, the all the fibres are looped, you know, and so it provides stretch. Well, for the Olympic swims, you know, like Thorpey and all of these guys, when they started winning gold medals wearing these full body suits, that was using this new technology of stretch woven fabric. So it's a weave, but every single fibre stretches. And that's because every single fibre is elastane and it's got woolly nylon spun around it. It is it's the way to go for swim for swimwear, but there are very few mills that are doing it and we're just moving out of that whole specialized patent area. I've got a mill in France that contacted me actually when they saw what I was doing and said I think this is right for you and I said, "You know what? You're right." Um and they do like all of these um like dobby textures and seersuckers, all really fancy. You can do anything because it's a weave. So you can put it on a dobby loom and do, you know, like genuine textures and things like that. And it's just better in every regard. So it's what's amazing. a dobby loom? Uh, it's, a, it's a loom that puts texture in. So, you know, like, say, a business shirt that might oh, have yeah, little okay. textures and yeah. stuff like that yeah. all the way through it? Yeah. So you can so do that. what did your wife, is your wife, what did she think of you taking over the garage? Is it you doing it in the garage? Or uh, you have a- one son moved out of, out of home okay. and that gave us an extra room <laughs> and I cut the ends off of all the, the sewing machine tables and jammed them all into this one room. <laughs> Is it still there? Have you got a premises now? No, no. Was, I'm working out of home still. Okay. Yeah, I don't need all that much space. Okay. Um, if production, you know, picks up and I have to employ someone or get my wife involved in the sewing or something like that, then it might get squashy, but not yet. So where do people find your swimwear? Online, typically. Yep. The nice thing about doing things like a topless malo or a men's one-piece swimming costume is that you've only got to be that one in a million person in the world who types that into Google and you'll <laughs> only find me. <laughs> so, Straight to the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no competition in that space, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's – I shouldn't be advertising that. God, there will be next. <laughs> no, it's so fine. So you're doing male swimwear because they're the photos that I saw of Sean. In your yep. swim, oh yeah, that's yeah. a new piece I've designed. Yeah, nineteen forties looks sensational. That yeah. looks really good. Yeah. It yeah. was on Sean, who's a parkour athlete. So mm. I did think I'd look good in it until I remembered <laughs> that he is a parkour athlete. You probably would, Greg. I reckon you could rock it. So, but, but it's a great style. It's, mm. it's more of a traditional... Yeah, 1940s yeah. style. Again, in the stretch woven fabric, not wool, mm. um, as they were back then. But, um, yeah, straight out of Max Dupain photo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us about your bicycle journey. You said you were famous in the bike world a little bit. Well, it's a small you world, but I, it's a small world. But yeah, you know, it certainly did. I had I yeah. lived the life of Riley there Tell for a few years. Tell us about it. What's the go? Oh, we'll go straight to the top, yeah. shall we? Yeah. Someone in New York made the mistake of thinking I would be the best brand ambassador for Shimano's new urban gear, and so I was flown to New York Are for you five years. Yeah, yeah, and hung out with Gozo Shimano and all the main designers what? from Shimano and. Five star hotels and you know That's celebrity insane. restaurants all the way. So that was I didn't get paid for that gig, but who would want to? You know, like. I, I so, Stephen, can I interrupt and just ask you when was this? 
Mm, might have been 2016, that one. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I quit the university in 2015, and from then until about, yeah, maybe 2018, I was just going full on with the whole bike stuff. And um, what, what does going full on with the whole bike stuff entail? Oh, it entails living out of a suitcase and a lot of keynote talks, mainly. Okay, yeah. cool. And what, is your wife, what did your wife think about this? She's uh, oh, just open to well, whatever you... Yeah, yeah. Um, would have been nice if at the end of... You, you get paid like $9,000 for a 15-minute talk. Yeah. You know, that was the, the highlight, you know. Okay. Most of the time it was significantly less than that. But then if you add up your income over the whole year, mm. you go, nah, this is not working. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. <laughs> so were you involved in designing uh, I was, cities? Or? I was a consultant to a lot of cities. Yeah. So, for example, Bogota flew me in and, you know, got me to put together a competition brief for a new building that's going ahead there, I believe. Communications are a bit weird with those guys. So when but, you um, talk about Europe, they're a lot more advanced in terms of their setup for bikes. Yeah, but I was telling them how they were pathetic. Right, okay. Because I'm talking from an architect's point of view where you design something to be optimal and they've like even Holland have just always treated bicycles as an afterthought. Oh, we've got too many bikes parked here. What are we going to do? <laughs> you know, it's come on, think strategically from the beginning, guys. Mm. You could have sorted this out. Clean slate. Yeah. Yeah. And what were your tips to them? Oh, look, with the Netherlands, for example, they've got this they think that it's not scalable to put bikes onto trains. And so instead they have mountains of bikes parked around train stations. Mm. Yeah. And then, that's yep. quite common for part, lot, quite a few parts of Europe, isn't it? Because I lived in Switzerland for a while and that was really common there too. Yeah, well, Holland sort of do it to a new, to a new level. But um, the problem is, is that you get to the next city and then you've got to find a bike. And so people start keeping a bike at every city they go to frequently. And this, this sort of perverse outcome. <laughs> it's not really feasible. No, it's not. It's, it's not. And, um, and it's so like then what they... some people do with partners. One in every So I've heard. Well, in all my travels, I wasn't doing that. No, so. no, that's okay. Yeah, so in that case, you know, I thought, oh, that was one thing, just design trains with big wing doors and take the bikes on the train the same as you take the bikes on the ferry and then you don't have a bike parking problem at both sides just all the bikes go on the journey um that was one idea and then the other one really that they should be doing is covering the bike paths you know and showing the rest of the world that the way of the future is to cover bike paths we cover bus riding car riding train riding it all has a roof over it transportation is protected from the the weather Mm -hmm. if it's transportation it's protected from the weather and the Dutch go, oh, but I want to feel the pitter-patter of raindrops on my face and show the world that I'm stoic or Calvinist or something like that. Well, in that case, it's recreation. Make up your mind. Is this transport or recreation? If it's, rec- if it's transport, cover it from the elements. And furthermore, you know, bring the bike into the building. So here we couldn't all have our bikes parked in here, but this is a very cramped room. In most situations... Out the back, we've got... We could have them. Yeah. Yeah. In most situations, it's better to bring bikes into buildings and use them as a kind of a, you know, almost like a handbag or a shopping trolley. The bike can be, can wheel the children, you know. You could go from your apartment all the way to the grocery aisle, undercover, and back to your apartment, to your kitchen, and have the bike, ride the bike all Mm. the way with your child asleep 
So like a mother who's got a kid who's going to be, you know, needs a day's sleep and so they can't go shopping at that time, let them sleep in the bike and get everything done. So, you know, if you think about the built environment that way, I think there's a real sweet spot there that works around density and everything. What are really. your tips for day-to-day to be more bike for bike transport, the yeah. typical person, like I'm, I live in the city, so that's all right for me. I just ride everywhere and don't own a car. But let's just say you live somewhere that doesn't have good public transport and you work in the city. I think it's an, a must to have a little folding bike in the boot of the car and park, you know, just two kilometres out when there's plenty of space. You know, mm. once you go two kilometres out and just ride that last little bit. And then through the day, you get so much done in town, you know, because there's no parking problems. So you can go True. anywhere for lunch, go to mm. the beach for lunch, make any meeting. Your time in the city would be more efficient. And you wouldn't be slowing the rest of us down who are trying to get around by bike. <laughs> yes, well, that's a big debate because, you know, when you're in a car, obviously cyclists can be a real problem. And a lot of people get very upset <laughs> when cyclists you know, or on the road. But if you actually solved that problem by removing some of the cars and actually made it more cycle, you know, I think as friendly. well it's got to do with an attitude. You know, a lot of people think that bikes shouldn't be on the road and they need to be educated as to that it's a shared space and then you get people say, oh, they don't play Ridge and all this. So. Yeah. Oh, they're idiots. But it depends on <laughs> the context as well. So, like, you know, if you are in the suburbs that were built around the car, you, you're right. It is for the car. Mm. And then it's just a question of whether you really want to be operating in the suburbs, whether that's an efficient environment. It gives you a good night's sleep, unless you've got dogs. But <laughs> mm. I'm not a fan of the suburbs. They give me existential angst, but everyone's <laughs> their own person. Everyone's their own, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. each their own. You know, that's right, yeah. Let our chi guide you. Follow Chi Chart on Facebook and Instagram. So tell us a little bit about uh, the chart there, Lisa. Yeah. I'm actually interpreting your birth chart. Now, that those little characters won't mean a thing to you, mm. Stephen. But basically, it says that when you've got two of those, two yin fires in your chart, you're actually very clever. And we know that you are very clever. But you've also got a wood flow, which means, interestingly, fashion is right up your oh, alley. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, sweet. And so you've actually Why been is fashion up the alley of a wood flow? Because elementally, like I've explained to all of you out there a few times, that there are the five elements. So Chinese astrology really is governed by the five element theory. And that's wood produces fire, fire produces earth, earth produces metal, and metal produces water. And it's a continuous production or cycle of production. And conversely, it can also be a cycle of destruction or control. And you use those elements. And you can see that in your birth chart, but your birth chart is influenced by the elemental periods of your Um, elemental cycles so every 10 years your elemental flow may change it does it does i have done something different with every decade of my life are you serious (laughs) and and that is really interesting so so what's the one we're in at the moment so i was just going to ask Stephen: was it 2019 or around that time that the whole swimming thing was really starting to come to fruition, the swimwear. Oh, it depends on how you say fruition. Uh, Were you starting it? Uh, I think so. Because mm. at, in that year, in 2019, you had a really beautiful sort of a full wood combination, which actually meant that you had the resources behind you to actually have that momentum and that support. And there was also probably support 
from your wife. Was she? What did she I would say like about to the? Think uh, that she's just as supportive in twenty twenty and twenty. No, no. Yes, I, I'm sure that she is. But yeah. I'm saying elementally when was we, she really supportive at the start? You know, she might have been saying to you, "Let's." And then do as it. you've gone on and you've gotten so into it, she's like, her support seems to track whether there are sales that week or not. Okay. <laughs> so. Fair enough. What about the um, the first ten years? Is always really interesting of the chart. Lisa, what have you got? So your luck cycle or elemental, I keep trying to correct myself because technically speaking, luck or fate, which they're often referred to, these 10-year cycles, can make you sort of think, oh, well, it's fate. It's predetermined. It's predestined. Or luck means, you know, oh, I'm going to get lucky. However, it's an elemental flow. And if you have got a bad or let's say not a particularly fabulous quality Stay on mic so you can hear me. I'm on mic in the sweet spot. So if you've got a a fabulous birth chart but your 10-year elemental cycles are not that great, that's an issue. Mm. And conversely, if you've got a birth chart that's perhaps a little – which way did I say? Sorry, I'm going to start that again. So if you've got a birth chart which is a really good birth chart and has a positive flow, sometimes your elemental cycles – don't support that Mm. and the reverse is true so Stephen you've got a really good flow in your chart I don't know what hour you were born and when you get over the age of about 50 or you know 55 you really do need to have that hour of birth without that hour of birth I can talk about the past but I think going it was 7.30 p.m. or 7.15 p.m. from memory something like that my mum Seems to say. So we're looking at that may affect your flow somewhat because when you were younger, you had this wood flow. And so I can really understand that you were drawn to fashion. And as I was, Mel, you asked me the question, how do you know this? Well, all of the elements actually also have career associations with them. Okay. Yeah. Right. So science or teaching um, or fashion are actually wood related um, careers so from your chart I would have asked you if between the ages of from about 12 to 17 I would have felt that you would have been quite well supported in your education you would have had you weren't well supported in your education so you didn't have good mentors at that time it was something that you had to strive very hard to work for most of the teachers at my school were pathetic really oh yeah but i'm lucky i had a very good art teacher very good english Mm -hmm. teacher and a very good industrial technology teacher and they shaped my life Mm. okay so i would say that's around age yeah 17 so so we're talking mentors i would definitely say those three teachers they were great yeah but my god they were a contrast to the rest (laughs) yeah so with that obviously having good mentors provides that support just looking from a somebody who doesn't really know you very well, doesn't know your whole life yeah. story and isn't going through each year individually because your annual um, or the annual elemental influence of each year is going to affect your elemental flow and your birth chart as well. So um, from, say, 17 onwards, 17 to 22-ish, how was money for you? I didn't have any. <laughs> so the wealth element, if your wood 
and metal clash. So between that period of 17 and 22, that yang metal was actually a negative element for you. I didn't have any money before that either. No, that's fine. Well, I can say from showing your luck, so when you came into your true person at about the age of seven, we all start our journey at different ages, Mm. interestingly. Seven is when I scored a very high IQ test because I went back and I dragged that out of the school under some law where you're allowed to get your old IQ tests. And I tell you, when I I was seven, I nailed it. (laughs) That was a good year. Wow. Must have been eaten well. Well, this is when you actually (laughs) began your real life as a person, as an individual. So before the age of seven, you were actually your parents kind of shaped you and your year pillar but you are very smart i've already said that i got a push bike at age eight i was gone Mm. (laughs) so but that when you talk about money in your chart if you like wood okay the metal element is actually negative it clashes that wood element so you had the um, wealth element in your chart very early on so that may have indicated you know that it wasn't the easiest childhood in the world okay and then from the 17th to 22 that negative element was present again however i would have said and you may have had a serious relationship and might not be your wife but there was a potential for you between the age of 22 and 27 to actually meet your wife well, I met her at age 22 and got oh, married at age 24. There you go. <laughs> so it shows that so clearly. There, there are things that you can really see very clearly with um, this method of Batsa or Chinese astrology. It's very good for telling you when you're going to meet somebody or when you're going to have a child or when it's a good time to change career um, and... And, and that's what I love so much about it. There are other methods that are really um, perhaps more useful for the deep personality analysis, but this is really a great method for telling you or picking timing. Yeah, okay? so and that's what I the love. Timing right. Yeah, that's what I love about the Chi Chart app. To be honest, just that engagement every day of the assurance of this is what possibly is going on for you and then being able to have awareness around it it's really empowering Mm -hmm. and that's what it's useful for so to know elementally when you're in good luck and actually you make great decisions yeah or when when you're you're off that tells you and you sort of know and then you just lay low Yes. Mm. Yeah. You know, mm. um, you definitely don't go and sign a big business deal yeah. or swimwear contract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had that a couple of um, weeks ago where I was just having the day and I was in touch with Grant and I said, oh, Grant, I, I'm sure I'm going to get onto uh, the Chi Chart app and it's going to say, well-being day, look after yourself. <laughs> Next minute I got on, yes, that was the case. I screenshotted it, sent it in. I got the that's so funny and so many people are actually saying that so yeah. Stephen, i'd really yeah. like you to check out chi chart i know you're a bit of a chi skeptic and i do really appreciate can that can i turn about it into you. a fabric design <laughs> can i turn it into a fabric design oh because that's where i think might. these things are really interesting is in the arts you know the arts are all about expressing a multitude of different points of view when it comes to politics and science and how to get transportation working and things like that that's where we all have to be ultra rational and find a common ground but when it comes to 
the arts. That's where we can absolutely express anything that pops into our head. Well, 100%. Well, our podcast is about energy flow. So if you want to design something based around well, You could be doing flow. an elemental range. And you could be incorporating that all I can those. Run with. Yeah. I love you the know, idea of that. How amazing yeah. would that be? So you actually wear like if red is your colour and that's going to support cool. your flow. You have a beautiful, yeah, I can hear sexy that. red yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got my little. Um, I got my little bit of green here. I've got another one that's fully green around the outside, and that uh, green's a good positive energy for me. So I wear that now. Whether there's a psychology psychology in that, in that I feel better because I'm wearing my green, mm-hmm. there could be could be an element of that. But one of one of our goals is ultimately get to the app to a stage which it's been very difficult to get the calculations done, so that we can deliver this on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. We'd like to run a scientific study where we actually get our control groups and get your emotional control group and your standard control group and put it with another group and actually do some testing to see whether there's a correlation between people's naturally natural flow. So the, 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 they've been doing this for over 4,000 years where they've been empirically looking at yeah. the evidence and the Chinese were more focused on, the masters were more focused on educating the next master to come through as or the opposed next generation to and passing it down through the lineages the, but how do you control for a placebo effect with a study like that? i don't know i think we need to get the universities involved in that but i have been researching some universities that have studied say for example the um uh what is the is there a benefit of journaling on people's stress levels for example so you know it's about finding the right people to do that that's certainly not my area yeah what i do like is that we will have an opportunity once now that we've got the the app to a level that we've got the mechanics to be able to do the calculations because physically to do this calculation i mean you you hit lisa with the time and she's running it through her mind and trying to work out what the combinations are well we've managed to get that in the app and that's that's one thing that we're looking forward to yeah, yeah, yeah. it's exciting i used to you know part of my academic career i used to have to review grant applications for other disciplines outside mm. of architecture you know agriculture and engineering and all sorts of things across my desk and i guess if you were looking at a study like that you'd be thinking well um observer um expectancy effect how do you control for that so people know they're being observed by the researchers and so their behavior might change mm. Um, placebo effect is another one and also having a big enough control group to get any sort of it would be a very expensive study it, um, it, it would have been almost impossible to do before because the sheer volume of the calculations that you would need to do to actually the variability deliver it, the variability you would yeah, not have been able yeah, to do yeah. even think about getting a, 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 a group big enough to be able to do it yeah. however if we if we did i think it would be it'd be great you know there's a lot of studies out there by big companies that don't tell us much at all that's useful. So this yeah. is something that would actually be useful for humankind. Similar, you'd have to go to psychology and look at the way they study mindfulness and its effect and things like that. I would imagine that would be the template. Mm. It would be that yeah. department that we'd be talking mm. to. But it's an interesting, I mean, we're talking about, um, you talk about that creative art, you know, and it is a, there's a there's an element of faith and all that in this. That's a different story. Mm. That's that. See, that's where you really you really float my boat because as far as architecture, fashion, the arts generally are concerned, there's no there's no empirical basis for any architectural style. You know, but they bring meaning to people's lives. If mm. you see a style that has full of aspiration for whatever it is. 
and then people can latch on to that and feel a sense of belonging, you see the way people flock to that mm. and it lifts them. You know, I go around the city now with a camera and I photograph, I'm, I'm doing this project of photographing every building of architectural interest in the city and explaining it, you know, explaining architecture, not explaining that building, but explaining architecture through the prism of local examples that just happen to be around me. And are you also doing it? from the point when it was constructed and its relevance to that period. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. people were thinking, what the aspirations were. So mm. why would someone be building in the Dutch style, which was a copy of the Italian style, in Newcastle around 1890? That happened wow. with a few buildings here, a few Dutch-style buildings, which are, which are like mashups of Italian-style buildings. What the hell were they thinking and who – what were – the people they were copying thinking mm. and what made them think this would lift be ennobling what's fascinating is just um people's stories and uh you know how those stories evolve to some sort of um cultural tapestry i guess and then that is just all linked to our energy flow then and now isn't it I don't know what energy flow is, <laughs> so I can't answer that. Everything is but energy. Those, well, it's that connection with your city, yeah, for yeah, example. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. As in, do I feel connected mm. here with Newcastle? I think yeah. it's a beautiful. I we feel got like you. slashing my wrists half the time. <laughs> <laughs> is that because there are so many cars on the road? No, now, I, just, I, I just, I just look at buildings which are, you know. So many build. I'm thinking architecturally, right? Okay. Thank so you many buildings. That. An architect put their heart and soul into trying to achieve something, trying to drag some beauty or delight out mm. of just an entryway, you know. Yeah. And this happens all over the city. And then, you know, you'll look around and they'll be entering that building from the side now <laughs> and there'll be weeds growing over that yeah. entryway. And it mm. just happens all the time. Where it happens, but it's the same in every city, 100%. Like you know, Melbourne. Yes. It's, oh, okay. yeah. You mean, so they're not In the 70s homage. in Melbourne, they just stuffed up so much yeah. good stuff. So. So, so they're not respecting, they're not paying homage to that building. Yeah, I think, you know, mm. I think we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it even with my own house that I did a little unsympathetic addition once. <laughs> you know. God, I'm sure a lot of people out there have many unsympathetic additions and attached out of, to their house. Out of expediency, you know. Yes. And, just, and, and it necessity. Wasn't, it, well, it wasn't even saving any money. It was just saving thought. That's the problem. And you're an architect. God help the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Fleming, thank you so much for your time. Don't forget to rate and review Chi Chat by Chi Chat wherever you listen. Like us? Give us a five-star energy rating wherever you listen. Chi Chat by Chi Chat.